Uh, For the summer, we've been in a uh, series in Romans called Paul's Gospel. Paul uh, thinks that he he has uh, his own sort of take on uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he really explicates it, you know, gives it a lot of flesh, gives it flesh and blood in the book of Romans. And what we've seen is that Paul has gone through this moment where uh, once he realized that God revealed himself in the death and resurrection of Jesus, that everything that Paul thought about religion and God, it all had to be turned on its head. Didn't mean he wasn't still Jewish, like he, he you know, has his Jewish roots, and he is um, a faithful Jewish man, but, but the way that he sees stuff, and the way that he has seen stuff, it's all got to be reconfigured to make sense of the fact that uh, Jesus didn't come with power and violence and winning, but with the cross, and the resurrection, and the gift of the Spirit. And it's been weird for us, because in the last couple of weeks, we've been sort of trying to deal with the fact that what, what one of the things Paul's realized is that Jesus isn't interested, and God's ultimately not interested in us following a set of rules, a list of do's and don'ts to make him happy. That's not how God operates. And, and what we've found is that first, God's never operated that way. Like Abraham, uh, who we talked about last week, that's not how God operated with him. God operates always on trust. A relationship with God's about trust. The week before that, we saw that what it is to, to follow God is not to do this and not do that, but it's to go after wherever the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is active and creating life and creating redemption. But that leaves us in a lurch because we still have to get along with each other. And uh, really, the, the question that's animating uh, us today is one that, I mean, if you, if you take seriously what's going on in our country right now, we're, we're really at a place of you know, just vicious, like, we're, race relations are terrible, and ideological relations are terrible, and, and there's this, this sense where we're all sort of in America, and we're all trying to live with each other. How do we do it? Well, there's a microcosm of that in the church. And so you might say, in light of the last couple of weeks, I get it. God's not concerned with a set of rules. God wants to trust him, follow the Holy Spirit, but I still don't know how to live with all these people. And you might look, you know, at some of the people next to you in the pews, and you're like, why is that person allowed in here? Like, get out. You make, you're not, I don't like you. And what, and what, so in a very practical level, how do we live? Uh, Paul addresses this in Romans 14, and we're going to, I, I don't want, just for the sake of time, we're not going to hit every verse in Romans 14. I have it all printed out in your note sheets, and also you can see in the Pew Bibles, uh, 600 to 601 is where this all is in the New King James. We're just going to highlight um, the substance of it to get a sense for exactly what Paul thinks life in the church ought to be like. So let's uh, begin reading together uh, verse 1 of Romans 14. <clears throat> Welcome the person who is weak in faith, but not in order to argue about differences of opinion. One person believes in eating everything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Those who eat must not look down on the ones who don't, and the ones who don't eat must not judge the ones who do, because God has accepted them, and you might say both. Who are you to judge someone else's servants? They stand or fall before their own Lord. And they will stand, Paul thinks, because the Lord has the power to make them stand. One person considers some days to be more sacred than others. Another person considers all days the same. Each person has their own convictions. Someone who thinks that a day is sacred thinks that way for the Lord. Those who eat, eat for the Lord because they thank God. And those who don't eat, don't eat for the Lord and they thank the Lord too. I just want to highlight a few things. The first, uh, 
traditionally this uh, week is not put in, in quotes. I, I think we have good reason to do this. But basically, I think what's going on in Romans is Paul's heard about the church in Rome. He's never been there at this point in his life. He's planning on visiting, um, and, and he will get there eventually, but he's never, heard, he's never been there. He's heard about it, and he's heard that there's factions in the church. Imagine that. A whole bunch of people getting together not getting along. Crazy. And, uh, and some people, the, the words that get bandied about to, to, is weak and strong. Right? So there's groups of people who think that they're uh, really strong in faith. They trust God in everything. And so they feel free to do this, that, or the other thing. And they look at the people who don't feel free to do that. And they're like, you're weak. You, uh, you, you're weak in faith. You don't trust God enough. If you did, you would be able to be where I'm at. Okay? Uh, the next thing, differences of opinion. This is uh, the Common English Bible's sort of best glossing of this. I, if, if the word judgment weren't around so much more in the text, I think a better way um, to, to read that would be differences in judgment. Uh, meaning that there are people here in this church who have thought really hard about whether or not they should say eat vegetables, whether or not they, if you go down in the text, should have wine with their dinner, whether or not they should, um, you know, judge this day to be a, a good sacred day and this one not. And they've thought hard about it and they've come to some conclusions. The problem is those conclusions are at odds with other people. We think probably uh, that um, the, the Gentiles might have been very wary of, of, of having wine or alcohol with dinner. Because in the ancient world, um, especially in Rome, uh, religious cults were known for parties that involved a lot of drinking and a lot of inappropriate behavior with members of the opposite sex. And so the, a lot of these you know, Gentiles probably came out of that world, came into the church, came into Christ, and they were like, that stuff's all bad, and we need to prove, we need to show that we're different than that. And so it's not appropriate for you to have wine with dinner. Now, Jewish Christians would have been like, what? I mean, Jewish Christians were all about, um, they, it was just part of life for, for Jewish people to, wine was just a part of life. It's just how it was. And so there was a conflict. Uh, likewise, there may have been... Um, we're not sure about vegetables exactly, but we do know that there were instances of Jewish uh, sects that um, very much followed a very little meat plan. And so maybe it was the case that there were um, groups of you know, Jewish Christians who were very wary of eating meat, especially meat that had been you know, done at like a pagan butcher shop. Maybe it was unclean, so they didn't like that. And so they said, just to be safe, we should all be eating vegetables. And when they see their, uh, their friends you know, eating uh, <laughs> pork terribly, and steak and all those things. They're like, ick, how can you do that? How can you call yourself, you know, good before God when we have all these examples in the scripture? You know, Daniel, and there's various other ways you can read vegetarianism in the Old Testament. Uh, we should be doing that. And the Gentiles were like, yeah, do you know how good this burger tastes? Uh, that's, a, that's a non-starter. You might just want to quit while you're ahead. Tragic that they closed Slater's 50-50 off of El Toro. It's been three years since it closed. I still miss it. Um, it's 50-50. It's like that patty is half beef and half bacon. Like, what's not to love? It's dry, so they fry an egg, and then the egg, like, keeps it wet. Uh, let's just go on and text it a little bit and notice the, uh, the, the sacred days. Some people consider some days to be more sacred than others. Well, the Jewish people, and they're, they're like, hey, are we going to celebrate Passover? And the Gentiles were like, what? What's that? Like, we don't have to do that. And then the Jews were like, let's do Sabbath. And the Gentiles were like, no. And the Gentiles were like, no, better. we got a better idea. Let's do Christmas. 
Yeah. Let's do some gift giving or something like that. Let's just imagine, let's just imagine that we in this church all decided to throw a party, kind of like we did last week. We're all hanging out and everyone's sitting there. And then uh, somebody stands up and starts espousing each one of these beliefs in a very loud and confrontational manner. So next slide, please. Yes. Someone gets up and is like, you, did you know that uh, Christmas was a pagan holiday? And the Christians took it over. And not only that, there's nothing in the Bible about giving gifts for Christmas. And this whole Santa Claus thing, what? If you're a real Christian, you kiss Christmas goodbye. And if you don't, you're compromised. You're, uh, you're no better than the pagan down the road. You're consumed with materialism. And another person pops up and says, I don't know what you were talking about, but my hobby horse is this homeschooling thing. When you homeschool your kids, they're not getting the same education and social, you know, whatever that my kids are in school. And if you really loved your kids, you'd put them in school. And then someone says, I don't have kids, but this whole drinking thing is really making me mad. Here's a whole bunch of reasons that Christians should never touch alcohol. I know the X, Y, and Z. And for that matter, now that marijuana is legal, and that too, let's start talking about the smoking of the weed blunts, and the cigars, and cigarettes, and all the vices, and anyone who does is no good at Jesus. And then one person says, Shut your mouth and sit down. Don't know what wasn't listening. But I'll tell you one thing. Every time you vaccinate your kid, you're creating autism. And if you have the audacity to subject your child to vaccines, you hate kids. And no Christian should allow vaccinations. Mm. Fortunately, uh, the people here are pretty chill. Um, so th th that didn't happen last week. Instead, we just had a good time together, which I'm super for. I think that's great. Um, but you can imagine that not only are these all very deeply held opinions and beliefs by people in our culture right now, but reasonable people can disagree about these things. Like it or not, the, the Bible's kind of vague about vaccinations. Um, it, it's true. I've searched and searched. Uh, the Bible's a little bit vague, actually, about alcohol. Um, there's some things about this and some things about that. Uh, the Bible's vague about whether or not we should celebrate Christmas. The Bible's vague about the proper way to educate your children. And yet, all of us, through one way or another, and I have deeply held opinions about all of these things, which I will not share. <laughs> and you should not in any way assume that I advocate any of the things I just said, because that would be a bad choice. Um, nevertheless, I can see how people could reason their way to all of these beliefs in light of Scripture, in light of what they know about the world, in light of what they've learned um, on the Internet. All those things can come together and can come with some pretty hardcore beliefs. Well, this is what happened to the church at Rome. 
and thank God it doesn't happen now. But in the Church of Rome, this happened, and what happened was uh, a lot of people were walking around thinking of themselves strong in faith, and they were saying, you're terrible. And so, for example, they would like just slam the wine goblet down, the Jewish Christians slam down the wine goblet, and, like fill it up right in their face and be like, glug, 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 you like that? And then the Gentile Christian would be like, ah, you're the worst, you're not good at this, you have no idea what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And then the, uh, the, the, the Gentile Christian would like pull out like just a half slab of bacon and start munching it right in front of the Jewish guy's face and be like, what, are you afraid of this? You don't want it to touch you? Yeah, get out of the way. And so the first thing in your note sheets, what was going on in the Church of Rome is this. The Church in Rome was not free to flourish because Christians were offending and judging each other over debatable issues. Over issues that reasonable people could disagree and notice, too, that there probably is a fact about all of the things that I mentioned. There probably is a fact about whether or not vaccines are good or bad, like healthy or not healthy. There's probably a fact about that. There's probably a scientific fact. There's probably a fact about whether or not homeschooling is good or bad for this kid. There's probably a fact about that. But the, the point is, we don't know, and the Bible doesn't say. And so we do the best that we can, we figure the best that we can, we work out the best that we can. And, and, but the problem is, we all are gathered here, and we come on different sides of the issue. And we might be involved. Notice I didn't even start talking about social media. Oh my gosh. You want to offend and judge? Dude, go on Facebook. Like, that's where it happens in our culture. Anyway, let's go back to the text. Uh, this is a, the next section of the text I'd like to take a look at. Paul's pretty blunt here. Uh, the, the Greek, uh, this, this is a great translation of the Greek. It's like, there's this, this transition where he's like, so dude, that's kind of how it would sound. So dude, stop judging each other. That's how it would sound. Instead, this is what you should decide. Never put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus nothing is wrong to eat in itself. But if someone thinks something is wrong to eat, it becomes wrong for that person. Uh, old translation, it is sin to that person. You are out of step with God if you do something your conscience doesn't approve of. If your brother or sister is upset by your food, you are no longer walking in love. Don't let your food destroy someone for whom Christ died. And don't let something you consider good to be criticized as wrong. God's kingdom isn't about eating food and drinking, but about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way pleases God and gets human approval. Just want to check in on, on, on some of these, these parts of the text here. Never put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So in the first thing, so, you know, you're like super convinced about your opinions about homeschooling. That's great, but don't like, if you know someone d- d- disagrees with you, maybe soft pedal it a little bit. It's okay to, you know, just have an honest discussion about differences of opinion, but instead of instead of like just just going out and throwing it in their face, because what's going to happen is you're going to create conflict, and that person is who is walking along. Things were cool. They they believe I'm following God. I'm trusting God. I'm seeing where the Spirit is alive and active. And now, whoa! I've just been completely tripped up. I don't know which way is up, and I'm losing my ability to know whether or not we're truly uh, in relationship with each other, and if I'm in a right relationship with God. You have just caused that person a faith crisis over something that, let's be honest, we're not exactly certain about. And then notice uh, at the very end there, don't let someone criticize you, or don't let something you consider to be good be criticized as sin. Don't let someone judge what you have in faith see as good be considered sin. So if that person comes up and says, this is how it's got to be, 
take your kids, you know, and homeschool them immediately. They'd be like, whoa, hey, just slow down. I'm, I've, I'm, I'm not just going through the motions here. I've really thought about this, and I've prayed about it, and I've, I'm convinced um, that this is what's best um, for, for my kids, and I, and, I, and I don't appreciate you, you know, spitting in my face. And really, um, to go on in the text, it's, it's really all about this. God's kingdom isn't about eating food and drinking. It's not about all of the various things that we deal with in our lives that are different, really because of our social location, because of our economic differences, because of um, our, our past and history, because of our culture, the cultures that we hail from. Those things all play into the way that we deal with the normal stuff of life. And what Paul says, that's not what God's kingdom is about. It's not about all these things that you think are so important. I mean, they are important, and there is facts about them. We should be faithful, but that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God isn't about eating vegetables vegetables or pork or both or neither. It's not about drinking wine or not drinking wine. It's not about observing this Christmas holiday or that Sabbath. It's not, no, what it's about is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The first thing to notice, in the Holy Spirit, that, um, that prepositional phrase in the Holy Spirit applies to each one of those things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Greek. The Greek, for you grammar nerds, the, uh, the, those nouns there are anarthrous, meaning they don't have a, uh, a particle, uh, particle, is that the right word? Article, yes. Minus the P. They don't have an article. There's, it doesn't say, like, in Greek it would be normal to say the righteousness, the peace, and the joy in the Holy Spirit. And if it said that, it would mean that you have righteousness and peace, but only joy is in the Holy Spirit. The way Paul wrote it is you might gloss righteousness in the Holy Spirit, peace in the Holy Spirit, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit applies to each one of those things. Why is that important? Well, if you recall, the whole point of Christian living, according to Paul, is chasing after the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who empowers and guides us to live these ways. What does Paul mean by righteousness? Anybody here work in corporate America? Nobody? Nobody's in corporate America? Well, that's a shame. Uh, I, I teach uh, at Fuller Theological Seminary, and once a year I have to complete an online uh, training about how to um, handle sexual harassment in the workplace which I love. On the left there, you can see um, some no-nos. Right? If you're in the workplace and you're sitting at your computer and a female colleague comes up and grabs your tie and pulls you to, pulls you to her and begins kissing you, that's a no-no. That's sexual harassment. Okay? Um, she, she's not supposed to do that. Uh, likewise, if you know, you're a male and uh, you see uh, a female and, and she's looking at her computer, you're not supposed to get in her personal space and kind of like, you know, give her a little snuggle while you're showing her how to work the program. She might take that the wrong way. That's sexual harassment. The way it's supposed to be is there on the right, where everyone's professional, everyone's doing things as they're supposed to be doing, everyone's happy, nobody's offending each other, no one's bothering each other. Let me ask you this. Why is it not okay to walk up to someone in the workplace and begin making out with them? Lawsuits! There it is. Jack, not that you'd know. Uh, (laughs) Don't take that the wrong way. Oh, my gosh. Right. Uh, No, it's a a real big deal. The reason there's lawsuits, though, there's lawsuits, is because... um, it, it turns out that the relationship you have with your work colleagues or your friends at school or whatever is different than the relationship you have with your spouse or significant other, your boyfriend or girlfriend. 
So it's totally normal for a boyfriend or girlfriend, which is like, I love you, let's kiss. That's different. That's not appropriate for a work colleague because work colleagues are supposed to be, you know, getting things done and, and helping the company make money. And presumably romance is not one of those things. So romance is not really appropriate for the workplace. The relationship, the kind of relationship you have precludes a romance, okay? In order to do right by your work colleagues, you need to avoid romance. Now, of course, that gets... As long as men and women are working together, it's just going to be a disaster because we can't control our hormones and people have feelings, and I get that. But the idea is, the point is, is that it's supposed to be this way. Likewise, when you're with your spouse um, or your, your boyfriend or girlfriend, it would be inappropriate if you treated them like, hello, I see that you need help with this, work pro- with, with this computer program. Please stand aside as I you know, log into your email for you. Click, 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 click. You are welcome. That's inappropriate. Because you owe different things. You have different obligations to someone that you're romantically involved with than you do with somebody uh, that you just work with. The, The kind of relationship you have governs what's right or wrong in that relationship. That's a very kind of now way of thinking about the Hebrew concept of sadaqah, righteousness. Okay? When you have different types of relationships with different people and the, and the relationship you have governs what's appropriate. Now, if you go through Romans 14 and you look for the types of relationships, the words that Paul uses to describe the relationships between Christians, what kind of language is he using? Okay, I'll give you the answer. Is that how this works? See, when I, yeah... When I'm teaching, like, it's great. Like, if I'm, if I'm teaching a class, I'll just sit there and be quiet. It gets really awkward. The seconds are ticking by. The students are looking at me like, ah! And I'm like, I, I get paid either way. Like, <laughs> if you want to look up the answer, feel free. But if not, that's cool too. Brothers and sisters. Right? If you read through Romans 14, over and over and over again, Paul uses the language of brothers and sisters. He's saying, hey, human beings, you first, before you came into the church, before you knew Jesus, you were strangers, okay? And now, as the song says, not only are you neighbors, you're family now. You're brothers and sisters. And so the same way that you would treat a brother or sister uh, is the way that you want to treat the people in the congregation. To do right by them is to do by them as you would by a brother or sister, or the way a brother or your sibling would do by you, okay? That's the way it works. Now, if you have some super twisted relationships with your siblings, don't take that as, as normative, okay? This is like the ideal of, of sibling relationships, okay? And the idea, some things that siblings do, right? Siblings are supposed to what? They're supposed to share, okay? Thank God I don't have any siblings, because watching siblings try to share is a very sad thing. It's very sad to watch because it never happens, but you, you can believe that it ought to, and it's supposed to, right? Uh, siblings are supposed to be loyal to each other, right? Like when, when, when the chips are down, you stand by your family, right? Like even if you kind of disagree with the way they're doing things, you're like, look, blood's thicker than water. Well, blood's not thicker than the Holy Spirit. And so presumably we ought to be loyal to our brothers and sisters. Hospitable, generous. When we disagree, that doesn't change the fact that we're still related. So that's the next thing in your note sheets. Righteousness in the Spirit means treating people in the church like your siblings and being treated the same way. Preferably mature, healthy siblings rather than 
my kids. All right, uh, going back to the text. What's next? It's not just righteousness in the Spirit, it's peace. Peace in the Spirit. Well, what's peace? Um, if you're familiar with uh, positive psychology or you know, its predecessor, humanistic psychology, you may be, may be familiar with Maslow's Pyramid. Have you seen this? Maslow's Pyramid, the hierarchy of needs. This came out in 1954. It still gets used in, uh, in psychological circles. And the idea behind it, Abraham Maslow was a, uh, a Russian Jewish immigrant to the United States of America. And it's very interesting because what he ends up coming up with and his, like, this is what a human being needs to be, at, to be happy, to be peaceful, is um, almost exactly what the notion of, the Jewish notion of, of shalom is. Okay? When Paul says peace, he's not thinking about let's not shoot each other, let's not be at war. Paul's thinking about being in shalom, having a robust, healthy, intimate, good life. Okay? And what Maslow, I mean, and there's problems with this, which we'll point out briefly, but Maslow intuited something along these lines. And he said, hey, if a human being is going to have a, like a, a, a flourishing, shalom-shaped life, they should have their basic physiological needs met. They should feel safe and secure. They should have love and belonging, a community of intimacy. They should be able to know that they are you know, worthwhile and valuable as human beings. He goes to self-actualization, which... Sounds like hippy-dippy-do to me, but, you know, probably there's something there about being creative and doing whatnot. I, I'm not, not totally knocking it. Um, the idea is he intuited probably from, he's an atheist, but probably from his Jewish background, this is what a healthy human life looks like. Now, you'll notice he has nothing spiritual on there because, like I said, he's an atheist, um, but Paul thinks of shalom in the spirit. These types of needs, these things that we as human beings require in order to be, to have a robust, flourishing life, those come through the spirit in the community of the church. And yes, everybody here needs to have their basic needs met. That's why we do benevolent fund. People here need to know that they're safe especially in an increasingly violent and chaotic age. People here need to know that they're loved and they belong. People here need to know that they're valuable, that God created them and and has redeemed them. And people need to to see that there is a, a mission that God has for us to accomplish. Those are all elements of a robust life that Paul says, that's what the kingdom of God's going to be like. When we get to the kingdom of God, these are the things that are going to be like full and complete in our lives. Let's image them now. Let's have them now. Chase the spirit and receive them now. Maslow probably would not have agreed that this is possible to do if you're in a a situation where you're suffering or you're um, in need. Paul would disagree. Paul believed that he lived in shalom peace even though he took beatings, even though sometimes he was deprived because his peace, his shalom wasn't dependent on just material things. His peace, his shalom was dependent on being in the spirit, in Christ. And so ours should too. Next thing in your note sheets. Peace in the spirit means trusting God's spirit to free you to flourish in the church family. Righteousness, peace, and what? Joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you're, you know, you're a person of means and you want to be cool, there's a new hot spot for tourism. It's uh, Iceland. Yeah, Iceland. It turns out that Iceland is one of the most beautiful places on earth. 
And uh, National Geographic sent a bunch of uh, photographers there to start, like, snapping pictures of how gorgeous it is. And it's true. It's crazy. If you look at pictures of Iceland, you'll be like, man, you can't deny that God created this place. Like, it's gorgeous. I think when you go there, it's actually pretty miserable because it's, like, super, super cold. Um, but it looks great in the magazine. So now all the, uh, that, this is like the hot spot for tourism. If you want to be cool and come back and have some awesome stories to tell people and make them jealous of you, you should go to Iceland. As Christians, we, uh, we recognize that um, God created everything, right? And, and we also recognize that, yes, the world is super broken. It's super fractured. But wherever you look, there are fingerprints of God's creative and redemptive activity in the world. And in Iceland, it's really obvious. When you look at Iceland, you're like, that is good, that is beautiful, like, wow, right? The idea behind Christian joy is the ability to delight and worship God's goodness, God's truth, God's beauty as we encounter it in every circumstance. And there are some places where that's easy. It's easy to do that in Iceland because Iceland looks like heaven. It's not so easy to do that in other places in life. You may be familiar with Banksy, the British graffiti artist. Banksy, uh, what he does is he goes to um, maybe dilapidated urban environments and he um, creates art there to sort of highlight that even in places that traditionally would be seen as maybe ugly or barren or broken or fractured or sinful or wrong, even those places, there is something of God's fingerprint. There is something of God's goodness and truth and beauty. This is probably his most famous artwork. Banksy is a, uh, he's a real goofball. He, um, he actually did this for an auction. He like recreated this, this uh, picture and for auction, and he, he sold it, um, I think, through Sotheby's or one of those auction houses. And a woman paid one, just over a million dollars U.S. for this, uh, this picture. And as soon as the, uh, the gavel had gone down sold, uh, what she didn't know is that Banksy had put a, a mechanism inside the frame. And as soon as the, it was sold, the, there was a shredder just underneath. the, um, And so it went through, and it shredded up the picture. And, uh, and he said, well, graffiti art isn't meant to last. <laughs> That's awesome. That guy rules. Take that, rich lady. That's sweet. Uh, but part of it is he was like, he was pointing out, he's like, he's like the beauty isn't something you commodify, and he's probably an atheist too, but God would agree with this. God's like, beauty, isn't, part of it is it's transitory, and you can't hold it, you can't capture it. Um, but if you're looking, you can see it in the most bizarre places, the most unlikely places. And when you can delight in goodness and truth and beauty wherever it comes, that's joy in the Spirit. And that's what your life and community ought to be like, even when things are broken and messed up and screwed up, and you can still see the, the little green shoots of where God's activity is stirring up good things, where the Spirit is moving, and you can delight and celebrate and worship. And when you're there, that's joy. And you can do that even when things are bad. Joy in the Spirit means delighting in God's goodness, truth, and beauty in any and every circumstance. A couple of takeaways. Let's do, let's do a little inventory. We've been doing inventories in the book of Romans to see where we are and how things are going. Uh, so this is your good Christian check. 
This is, you, this is your inventory to make because we need rules. We need check boxes. So in order to make sure that you're a good Christian, let's go through these things. Number one, question for yourself. What things do I judge other Christians for? <laughs> and let me be honest. We probably all do a lot of this. Um, honestly, I, if, I'm, if I'm being super honest, I, I love judging um, other pastors who I think, um, in my you know, elevated opinion, aren't doing you know, leadership right. I like to make fun especially of really rich pastors. Which, of course, if you were in Haiti and you were like, so, how, what's, your, what's your annual salary there, Tom? Hmm, that's cool. What is rich again? Uh, but it's nice because I, I don't want to be, I, I have people that I can look at that are even worse and so I can make fun of them and make myself feel good. What do you judge? Scrolling, you see that picture, you're like, number two, am I careful not to offend other Christians or do do I just kind of blunder about without thinking? This is an important one because uh, I don't think that most of our offending of each other is intentional. It might be in some cases, but I think for the most part, we offend each other unintentionally. We don't think that the way we approach life um, is we don't recognize that it's very local to us, that there's people who are very different than we are that we sit next to in the pews, have very, very different backgrounds, pasts, um, you know, cultures, uh, resources. And it's very easy for us to just assume, well, this is normal, you know, and this is me, and not to realize how that might be coming across. And in order to, to avoid offending and, and, like, shoving things in people's faces, you've got to get to know them. You have to see where they're from, see their story, and recognize, hey, what I'm doing might not be, like, super in with their zone. Like, I got to, you know, dance around a little bit. And that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to be respectful of your brothers and sisters, right? This is your family. You can be honest with them. You can have a forthright conversation. We can agree to disagree. But we do have to agree to disagree. And we need to, like, you know, create some space for each other. Number three. Do I treat my church community better or worse than my blood family? Now, if you have a super dysfunctional blood family, I hope the answer is better. If you have a super, like, well, I don't know, whatever normal is, um, I, I hope that you're treating the, the church family not worse. Okay? Um, and moreover, I hope that you're not being treated uh, worse than uh, you would treat your own family. Because these are your brothers and sisters. And if, and if that's happening, you need to let me know. Because, I mean, we do need to make sure that we're abiding in a way that we can all flourish rather than just like these people over here flourishing and, and these people not. Number four, can I really say that I'm flourishing? Do I have it all and I'm still not satisfied? That's some of us. Do I think that I can't have peace because God hasn't given me X? You know, I, really flourishing, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult balance because there is an element of having needs met. But there's also a, an element of, you know, sometimes the Spirit can, can create flourishing and create, can create peace and shalom even when we don't have all the things that we think we ought to. Um, and, and, and navigating that is a difficult, it's, it's difficult. And if you're having, if you're wondering, well, am I not being grateful enough? Well, let's talk about it. I don't mind. Let's have, a, let's have a chat. I'm not, I'm not going to judge you. Like, I'm not allowed to do that. I just read it in the Bible, okay? So I'm willing to, you know, we'll have that conversation. 
Number five, and last, do I see and or delight in God's fingerprints in the world around me? You know, honestly, for me, it, it's becoming harder and harder to see the beauty and to see the goodness. I, I tend uh, to focus more and more on uh, the marring and the sin and the fracture and the brokenness of the world that we're living in. And that steals joy. It steals my joy. Every one of us needs to have the eyes to see the way that God has shaped and is shaping and is creating. And if we can't see that, we won't be joyful. And then if we can't delight in it, we won't be joyful. So, bottom line, no more judging and offending, okay? We got that figured out? All right, awesome. Let's, let's pray and get, get, get out of here. All right. Gracious God and Father, we, um, we come before you as people who do. We do judge. We do offense. We're, we have a hard time um, being humble and, and, and not getting in each other's faces. And we do have a hard time living together and rubbing elbows and being different. And yet, God, uh, you've called us to righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You've called us to a life um, that isn't subject to rules of do's and don'ts, but it is subject to relationships and doing right by each other. A life that's not governed by I need to have this or I need to have that, but instead to have peace and, and flourishing in your spirit. A life not to be consumed by the darkness that surrounds us, but instead to, be, to have eyes attuned to your light, to celebrate and delight in you and what you're doing. May that be our ethic here at Coast, and may the world um, see and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.